Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, and as ever, I wish you a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you tune in to today's podcast from. And exciting times are ahead for the event industry. We are recording today's podcast on Thursday, the 6th of May. And last weekend, certainly in the UK, um, was a big weekend for the events industry. A lot of test events uh, were run um, to start getting a handle and a feel for how we can safely run events post-COVID as we enter the final phases, hopefully, of this roadmap out of the restrictions and out of the lockdowns that we've been living in for the last 12 months. Um, one of the key suppliers involved in some of this activity last weekend is a company called Event Genius, um, a name that I'm sure many of our podcast for, uh, listeners will be familiar with. If you're not, we're going to find out a little bit more about them today and their particular involvement in some of these really important test events that took place last weekend. I'm delighted to say that joining the podcast today is Reshad Hosanali. Reshad is the Chief Supply Officer and Founder of Event Genius and joins us from uh, a lovely looking location today. Reshad, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, uh, thanks, James. Hi, everyone. Um, so thanks for having me. Yeah, um, great to have you aboard today. And um, as I was saying at the start then, Reshad, it, it was a big weekend for the events industry last weekend. Um, you're probably still, I'm sure, in the you know debriefs and, and looking at, at stats and analytics coming back from it. But um, just for, for our podcast um, listeners who maybe weren't aware of what happened in the UK last weekend, tell us a little bit about the events that you were involved in. Yeah, it was um, it was super important, obviously, for the industry um, to have these events. Obviously, there was social, no social distancing, no face masks. Um, customers were were tested before uh, the event takes place, and then they're also being tested as we speak um, after the events. Um, we took part in the series of events called um, Circus, which are the indoor. Um, clubbing shows that happened um, at uh, Bramley Moor Dock on uh, on Friday, the 30th of April and 1st of May, um, and uh, there was another there was another few events going on. There was a festival at Sefton Park as well, which is more of an outdoor type show. Um, and uh, so far, on the on the light on. on on the scheme of things, um, you know, they went really well. Um, it was great to see people back. It was great to see, um, you know, the ravers happy. But as I've, I've sort of mentioned before, is that um, the most important is that people in the industry were back up and, and working. And that was a great feeling because the industry has been completely decimated. And, uh, you know, after so many months, um, whether it's companies or whether it's even freelancers or contractors, um, this was a real positive step forward. And, you know, we are a little bit at the, at the, at the bottom of the pecking order when it comes to reopening things in, in our industry. So uh, hopefully this was a, a real positive move and uh, we'll see what the, the final test results come out like. But. Yeah, and of course, and, and of course, as, as as you said, there's no social distancing, no face masks required. Um, something that we've we've not seen, and the photos at first may maybe looked a bit strange to some people who've who've got used to people standing at a distance. Um, and of course, that's not to say that measures weren't in place, as I understand it. People were tested and had to produce a negative lateral flow test the day before. They would then have to provide uh, or do a test two days after the event, if I'm right in saying so. Um, yeah. And of course, there were measures in place whilst the event was actually running itself, which you were very much part of. Tell us what your particular involvement was in those events. 
Yeah, so there were there were tons of measures um, that were that were in place. Um, for the, the 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 staff all had um, still the normal sort of COVID safe protocols, um, face masks, shields, all that sort of stuff. Um, and because the experiment was really about the customers and, and not so much around the the staff. However, everyone had to still be tested. Um, and um, yeah, for our, our 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 part in the in the event was around the the cashless payment solution, um, which is more hygienic and um, you know tries to stop the stop that spread basically uh, as much as possible. Obviously, it's quick around on the bars and things like that, so people aren't congregating as much. And uh, yeah, it's it was a it was a real sort of honor to be part of these these test events. And of course, over the last 12 months, people have, if they weren't familiar already, will have very much got used to the idea of cashless payments. Um, yeah. And it, it, like I said this is not something that's new, but um, it's something that is going to be vital, isn't it, as, as a means to, to continue with these events, even though there's no social distancing, there's no face mask required. I think it's fairly obvious by now that we are going to continue with a certain level of measure that will be retained within events even beyond you know post covid um what did you ha did you have to adapt anything within your own system uh, in line with these new protocols was it fundamentally there ready to go or was there new stuff that was rolled out for this um there was a there was really more of a mixture of stuff i think there was a lot of new feature functionality that we wanted to get out um not so much specifically because of covid there was some some stuff that obviously just plays a good part in that um but um yeah i think i think that the service the platform itself the cashless platform itself is is um, really streamlined and and like i said a contactless solution basically so at the heart of it um we've been operating that for a number of years um some of the improvements we made were things like um, we brought out self-service terminal where um there was no staff interaction so the customers can just go up the terminal um and uh and, and, and use the, the, the top up their wristbands themselves. We also brought in uh, card machine integrations and contactless payments, so um, customers could uh, could use their bank card or the Apple Pay and things like that to top up, um, and didn't have to really touch a physical device or, mm. or anything like that, which was again great. Um, as I said, the, the speed of, of, of our transactions are, you know, a second or so. So it's a real. Um, it just means that, like, you know, you don't have you have a lot less congregation going on everywhere, mm -hmm. uh, and you also every um, every bar person or vendor has their own terminals so there's no sharing of terminals everything is right. uh, wiped down uh, after each event even the self-service solutions uh, to tap platforms are, are, are wiped down as well periodically um, so um, yeah th there was a there was a number of, of functionality we launched some new reporting and things like that which will help uh, the the event organizers understand their events a little bit better where traffic flow is and um, you know again like I said where the the sort of um, the high volume areas are where mm. maybe yeah. they can maybe ease that and understand their events a little bit more but yeah i think it was um all in all the heart of it was around the hygiene element and uh we were, you know you gave a wristband to each customer when they came in um and then they could uh, they either topped it up in advance um which was the easiest way to do it yeah. um or they could just top up on site basically 
So there was actually no physical need for them to, to deploy their own credit or debit cards and things like that. If they wanted to, I presume that that function was there, but they could essentially just top up onto the onto the wristbands and use the wristbands. Yeah. As the... I mean, we're, we're a full turnkey solution for event organizers. So um, we provide the full end to end service. So we provide all the hardware, all the all the all the functionality, really, and, and even the management side of things. So for the event organizer, they just don't even have to worry about their point of sale. Yeah, hardware. Yeah anything we come in we give them everything they need whether they want to go for a, some event organizers go with the wristband some event organizers prefer going completely contactless uh, and we wish we can support both so and, and it was a, that was a new a new piece of functionality actually that we have developed specifically for covid because um you know we were really before mostly wristbands and, and rfid cards um and now we we can do all all types of methods of payment basically from the same terminals which um which is still great there's an element of some people still want to bring cash at an event so you can have a, a top-up station just for those people and yeah. then the people that want to go straight to the bar they can just use apple pay contactless uh, or, or whatever so the the, the the site still remains cash free as much as possible basically and uh, you know contamination is reduced as much as possible um, something you mentioned there a, a few minutes ago was uh, the, the the speed of the transaction, and, and I'm sure everybody who's listened to the podcast today will have been in that situation where you go into certain retailers and you go to make your contactless payment, and you're waiting, you know, several seconds. It can feel like a lifetime sometimes for for the for the machine to actually show approved on the screen. Um, mm -hmm. From a networking point of view, from a hardware point of view. It, it, have you had to upgrade anything? How important is that speed of transaction to you? Because obviously the slower the transaction is, the slower the movement of customers through a, a given area. Yeah, correct. Um, luckily, if we're using the RFID side of things, um, the, the transactions, like I said, have always been in a second or so. Mm -hmm. um, that's the benefit, I suppose, you get over contactless. You also um, have, obviously, offline redundancy. Um, so um, the networks don't really play too much of a part in it. We kind of use networks really to for um, for reporting purposes. Um, with the new contactless functionality we have, we also have the ability to operate offline. So if for whatever reason there's the transactions are taking too long or the, the event has a has a um, has a, a network issue, we can still the, the promoter can choose to accept some risk element of it and say, okay, we'll process the transaction later when the internet comes back. Yeah. In order just to keep things moving and and things like that, even the access control solution is the same principle where um, it's not network dependent, and it, all that kind of has to play a part. From when the customers come in, you can't afford to have a um, anything to fall down because otherwise you start having stampedes and all sorts. You know, people go too close, um, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then when you go into the event again, trying to you know, remove that sort of, um, uh, you know, the queues at the bar will, will be great as well, especially if the events have to come back at 75% capacity or maybe even 50% mm. capacity. You know, we don't really know what the the, the legislations are. Here um, in Liverpool, the events were at 50% 50, uh, 50 capacity. Um, so there was plenty of space for people to, you know, if they, you know, to walk around and, and stuff like that. Um, obviously, when the artists were yeah. on, yeah, everyone threw that out of the way. I think people even started coming into the event with masks, and by the end of it, there was just no more masks. I mean, yeah. in theory, you're probably safer there than you are in a, in a busy supermarket because everyone's been tested. Um, you know, no one is touching anything. Exactly, uh, whereas, yeah. 
supermarket, yeah. everyone is touching everything and, and no one's been tested. So um, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's interesting why <laughs> there's so much focus on the event side of things. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, 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 arguably, arguably let, let, let's lay it out there. Arguably, it's <laughs> safer than some of the stuff that we've been doing throughout the pandemic, which is, like you said, going into supermarkets. Yes, yeah. of course, people need to shop and nobody's suggesting that we shouldn't have been able to go into shops and, and into supermarkets particularly and you know to, to, to buy essential items but you are right in pointing out that the actual protocols that are in place now for these test events yeah is of a far more strenuous and stricter nature than than being able to go into what is currently classed as non-essential retail um yeah. you can walk in and out those shops one thing i i'd like to ask you and i i don't know if this is sort of maybe putting you putting you on the spot a bit as far as the tech is concerned but the use of RFID wristbands now and the the tracking technology um, that, that that goes with that, i.e. being able to see where pinch points are, what traffic flow was like through a particular area, et cetera, et cetera. In the scenario where two days after the event, all of the attendees have to do a test and somebody tests positive, mm -hmm. is it theoretically possible to use the RFID chip that was in that person's wristband to then identify who they were in close contact with and who they weren't because if you've got 3000 people at an event and somebody tests one person tests positive a couple of days later are we going to make 3000 people all then self isolate for 10 days or can we narrow it down to a group of people that were in close contact um yeah it, it, i mean we don't we don't do any sort of you know route in terms of tracking in terms of from a from a literally sort of gps sort of type tracking um mm. i think that would be a little bit too too overzealous on certain people um yeah, but we yeah. certainly wherever the touch points are we can find out where people have come in if they come into a specific venue or specific mm. arena if, if the promoter puts um uh, certain checkpoints in place or yeah. sort of see what bars they've been to, uh, what areas they've kind of been to. It's not going to be obviously if we're looking at sort of just the bar and vendor start, uh, type data, then it's not going to be a hundred percent of you know where they've hundred percent sure. been. But we can sort of get an idea. Uh, we can see whether they came into the festival on that day. Um, and we're actually launching in um, in ten days' time a ticket management technology where. Um, every you receive your your if someone buys three tickets for example generally you don't know who the other two people are um and mm. uh, what this portal allows you to do is a bit like an online check-in system yeah. for your flights so you can you receive your 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 email and text message that says hey can you please activate your tickets so you put your friends details in there you can send them their own um their own ticket and they can fill out all the information we ask you some questions um and uh, we can we therefore have every single person in the events uh, data basically and that was part of sort of our track and trace functionality um sure. just to make sure that you know if someone has i know that you know, if someone goes to a festival one of the things for us is like why you know we obviously don't know what the legislations will be and, and how much data we really need. So we kind of produce this as a, okay, well, let's just collect every single person's information um, yeah. and then we notify anyone that's actually come in contact with a, um, with a, you know, with someone who may have had COVID, for example. And I think, again, that was, we, we developed that to try and, um, if proposals are being put forward, so we have um, some events in Portugal, for example, which are 50,000 capacity, um, which um, 
We've been working really hard with with, with, with so many partners. Um, we've even got like a 400 staff testing center next to the festival um, mm-hmm. and, and everything just to make these events happen basically as safely as possible. And part of the plans that we submitted was, you know, we need to try and be able to contact every single person that yeah. may or may not have come to the event because otherwise, you know, one friend drops out. Um, you know, he's back at home and you're in Portugal, you contact them, you've got no idea whether people are isolating or anything like yeah. that. So we have to submit the most robust plan. And of course, if these measures aren't really needed or, or, or they're relaxed, then great. If otherwise we're kind of we're prepared for the worst, I suppose. And you can all you've just you've you've literally just said what I was about to say, which is which is something that happens in the event industry a lot, which is which is prepare for the worst. You know, when we do our risk assessments, our safety plans, you know. That any element of a live event is essentially planned for what's the worst case scenario what if everybody congregates in this area what if everybody goes down this path what if everybody uses this bar how are we going to cope with that and um i suppose we're at the absolute sort of nth degree of that at the moment aren't we planning for the absolute worst case scenario yeah. and and secretly confident i think i get this feeling with the industry there's a secret confidence that by doing the amount of planning that we're doing we are going to see some really positive results come out in the next week or so Oh, yeah, I mean, the the I think um, like I said, every, the the thing we've been working with all our partners is prepare for the worst, basically. So, mm-hmm. um, like I said, we, we sell sell the ticket, we we make them register through this portal, we actually then do the cashless payments. We've launched new contactless entry terminals where you scan your own ticket at the door and things like that. So we've prepared for the worst. The other problem is, is then um, you know what's going to be required from the events and. Um, you know, how does that work? So if testing is involved, you know, then testing, you know, do they have to provide their own testing center somewhere uh, close to the event? Uh, are the customers going to pay for for it? For example, mm. festivals can't, can't afford it. Um, you know, it's too expensive. Or is, is the government, yeah. is the free government test enough? You know, is the text message that you get, is that going to be enough to, you know, when you do a lateral flow that you can just order off the government site, is that going to be enough? And I think that's the problem that we're seeing now, why we're seeing a lot of festivals cancel um, at the moment, especially the ones in July and August, <coughs> um, because there's no clarity from the government and, and that's causing a huge burden on, on these festivals because, you know, they've had a, well, everyone in the industry has had a terrible year. Suppliers need paying. If they don't pay the suppliers, the festival can't happen. Um, and I think we're starting to see a bit of a knock-on effect because the insurance details haven't been um haven't been outlined by the government. I think that there is talks that they are going to do an insurance for festivals to if they cancel and cover some of their costs, but no one knows what that means, how you apply for it, uh, and how long is it going to take? You know, is it going to take another six weeks? And therefore, um, it's a, it's a real problem for the industry, especially the ones that've got big builds or that are close by in July and, and August. Mm-hmm. I think that's we, you know, it's really positive that these events are happening. It's great that we're kind of seeing the the end of lockdown in sight. Um, hopefully, travel is going to come back as well in certain countries, but without any published guidance at the moment, no one knows what to do or whether they can you know take the risk of of of, of um of starting to pay suppliers and, and artists because you know that yeah. if it cancels um <laughs> they're left with a load of money that you know that, that they've kind of out, well, out basically 
I think what you've said is is it will, will be echoed by by not just hundreds but thousands of people within the industry. And um, you know, if if it's not too bold a question to ask, is is there a sense? both personally for your own business and given that you probably work with numerous different organisers right across the industry, a sense of injustice that you're having to go through all this, these testing things. You know, shops didn't have to test, run test events of customers going into shops when non-essential retail opened. There were no test events to, to, for Ikea. <sighs> and, yet, and, and yet an industry that's built on planning, that's now fundamentally equipped with digital platforms to help track and sell tickets for example so we've got some of the best data available on the customers who walk through the doors you know the infrastructure fundamentally to do what test and trace that it was set up to do was there for the events industry and and i'm just wondering if you sort of feel like there's a bit of an injustice here i think for sure i think i think um, the, the the lack of of um guidance um you know we, we at the end of the day we're all companies that are paying our taxes we've all you know people working for a living right it's a job at the end of the day um and i think i think you know it shouldn't be regarded as oh well this industry isn't important because why is one industry more important than the other um and i think that that's that's really really unfair and like you say the amount of planning that goes in the amount of security the amount of um hoops you have to jump through the the professional companies that are running these things the 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 plan the sanitation plans that we put in place the um sanitization plans sorry we put in place yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you know absolutely everything the technology the contact tracing um even you know being able to like i said you know the, the technology is there now and the tests are there now for us to be able to you know to test fifty thousand people in nine hours you know that's kind of the the plans we've submitted in portugal for example mm. um you know so, so everything is is there to do it and it's, it's almost I mean, it's, it's it's almost like running a military operation these days um, to try and get an event off the ground. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I feel like it is a bit, you know, even if they didn't want to open things at a certain time or, or want to restrict it, which is kind of part of the roadmap, I feel that it's unfair not to publish any guidance because no one can prepare. And, and to be fair as well, you know, the government has put a huge amount of money into the cultural recovery fund you know and these companies this is money from the taxpayer that they to, to 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 support these companies and then they're kind of saying well okay because we're giving you money now let it burn it's not it's not quite right you know everyone wants to people are taking loans etc everyone wants to repay this money back and and that money should go to good use right it should go to to, to creating events again not just sat there just to burn and let just make sure people can just get by, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and and I think that there's a huge um, grey area at the moment. Is there, there was much excitement when the roadmap was published earlier this year, and we all looked straight away at the 21st of June, and those sort of sort of the, you know that key phrase of all restrictions on social contact lifted. But it's quite obvious that since that roadmap was published, there is a huge caveat to that as far as the events industry is yeah. concerned, which is. In normal life, in everyday life, all restrictions on social contact are lifted, except if you happen to be organising something called an event. Yeah. At which case, we still don't know what you're going to have to do. Yeah. And I don't, you know, so is it or isn't it all restrictions being lifted? Because it's not really, <laughs> in, in my view, you know, it's not really lifting all restrictions. If they're still going to make something that forms a multi-billion part of our social and economic industry 
still go through certain measures in order to make them safe. I think that's... And, and yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, if by then as well, let's say all the flights are back in and you can go X, Y and Z, I mean, you'll be sat on a plane next to someone maybe for five or six hours, you know, um, and, you know, they might reach across you, they go to toilets, etc. you know, and you're locked in. So you're not in open air. You're not in a, in, especially for the festival side of things where there's a lot less transmission. So it's kind of, okay, well, if that can kick off, so why can't we in an open air field have, um, you know, people that you might stand for about 30 minutes next to, not even that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, if they're talking about hands, face and space, there's no bigger space than the music festivals, you know. And I know that in the main arenas, people are, are, are together and they're shoulder to shoulder. But, you know, we now know, you know, being outdoors poses, you know, a far significant, a significantly uh, a reduced chance of transmission. You know, people are intense. They're yeah. camping for for three four nights. They're in open air spaces, you know. That yeah, and I think look, I think also, I think if they want, it's fine. If I think, it, look, safety's first, right? Safety's paramount, and we don't mm -hmm. want. A lot. We don't want another lockdown, etc. Um, but I think if if the festivals, if they publish the guidance and just say, okay, everyone needs to be tested, um, and this is what you need to do, then the festivals will just crack on and get on with it, you know. And they know where the where the ball is, you know. What where I mean, that you know, putting on an event and the security and all this is far harder than to try and run the, the testing for, yeah. for some people. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I agree. Yeah. So I think um, it's just that if it's just another part of what we have to do, it's just another part of what we have to do. But the fact there's no guidance and there's no sign of, of anything is the biggest problem, you know, because, like, like I said, if safety is first, fine, we want to we want to keep people safe, then we just do exactly what happened at the Liverpool event or or whatever some people are planning, which is test people before they go in. And, and at least it's clear that you can commit your cost, you can make sure you can start employing people again, and you can, you know, you, you can crack on, basically. You know, some people, it might not be for them to do the testing. Fair enough. Some, a lot of event organisers will just say, right, we'll just build it as part of our process. And and, and this year, is, is, is that's it, really. Mm, absolutely. And I think the, the, the thing that has always remained fundamental to me in this whole debate is the desire of audiences to get back into events and there is clearly a desire from audiences to get back into these events because that was shown this weekend the the, the events that you worked on the, the the pictures and the videos that i've seen going around on linkedin and people that i'm connected with on there and on and on social media and on the mainstream news shows people who were eager to be there and who were wanted to be there and who are overjoyed at being there and i'm sure Given that everybody is now eligible to do to, 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 for for two lateral flow tests a week that they can claim, if you exactly. ask an audience, are you willing to do this in order to go to an event? It's a resounding yes. It's it's yeah. obvious. So I think we're not asking too much of the audiences to do this. I think if they were told that they had to do this in order to get in, they will willingly participate in in anything yeah. like this. I mean, we had we had some sellout shows, right? Then people were. You could see it, as you say, on their faces. And I think we, we, ran, a, we ran a survey um, a few weeks ago, and we, we surveyed 140,000 uh, customers, um, and you know, 90% of them will feel confident to go to an event this year. Um, mm. That shows you that you know, 82% of them will want to go to, to two or more events this year. Um, so it, it sort of highlights the, 
the the importance and i mean interestingly as well 70 percent of them want uh, some form of a cashless solution um mm. implemented for for hygiene measures um so yes i think uh, it's you know the the, the industry is ready to go i mean the amount of ticket sales that we you know as soon as they announce things i mean every single show is just selling out basically so people are wanting to go out people are happy to and i think um i think you know I think I think it's, it's positive, and I, th I think the rest. Of, we do a lot of events in Europe as well, and I think that you know that that's hit us quite hard in in terms of you know there's no sales happening whatsoever, and the promoters yeah. have got even less of a of a of an idea what, what's happening there compared to the UK. So for them, it's it's even worse because you've got the third waves coming in, and and it, there just needs to be a some form of standard i think that needs to just come come out and say right to work to have an event um then you need to do x y and z and i think that'll put you know everyone in a, in a much better um place really absolutely and, and given given the question marks over travel at the moment and what's happening in continental europe and beyond there and the fact that arguably we're in a very strong position uh, in terms of our own vaccination program and our own uh, mm -hmm. uh, protocols in this country at the moment, I think we should really be doing, or, or the powers that be need to be doing everything they can do to support the UK events industry. And if we can't work in Europe, if we can't work overseas at the moment because of travel restrictions and the difficulties in doing that, we must at the very least get our own industry domestically back up and running as soon as possible and, and give these businesses a, a fighting chance domestically. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, if you look at even these events, these events employ hundreds and thousands of people, um, you know, if they start cancelling, um, especially a lot, a lot of people are freelancers as well, um, and they don't have the support from the government. Um, mm. There's a lot of people that, have, like I said, have been really impacted severely. Companies have been impacted severely. Um, ourselves, you know, we, we, you know, we obviously took a hit like every other ticketing company. Sure, yeah, yeah. 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 No uh, event, nobody uh, buying tickets, no ticket <laughs> required. It's yeah, we, 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 we luckily we 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 we, 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 we you know, we're financially stable and and we're strong and we 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 sell it. We we're doing things in Australia, for example, which is working really well. So we've kind of had to adapt and and sort of you know around but i think that the point here is 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 the fact that you know there's a lot if you look at a lot of the retail a lot of the bars um hospitality industry has been decimated as well um the travel industry has been decimated a lot of the the people that work in these industries now need to find a job somewhere else and a lot yeah. of them will probably go towards a part-time work or freelance work at a festival or uh, an event and things like that which is you know which is contract work um, that they can get you know, fairly easily. Um, and, you know, now that we've got all these events planned, if they start cancelling because there's no guidance, then it, we just end up with a, a ton of uh, unemployment again. So it's, uh, it's yeah, it, it, they're really, I think that that's the biggest thing we need to push right now. And I think there's a lot of people campaigning against that. And I think, um, yeah, hopefully the next couple of weeks will be better news really after these events. So these events were really key, I think, to, to really highlighting that, the, the risk element really of an event.
If you're if you're listening to the podcast um, fr- from overseas, just um, hop on hop on Google and and just search for you know Liverpool Test events um, over the previous weekend, which would have been Friday the thirtieth of April, first of May, second of May, um, and you maybe find out a little bit more both in the mainstream media and and, and certainly in the industry media um, about what went on at these events. And I'm sure if you're listening internationally, you may be curious to see what we're doing in the UK at the moment and what companies like Event Genius are doing to support um those those particular event organizers with these test events at the moment we've been joined today on the podcast by reshad hassan ali reshad is the chief supply officer and founder at event genius um reshad thanks for joining us today it's been great to have you on the show um if people want to find out more i know eventgenius.live is your website but presumably they can find you on all the social media platforms as well yeah uh, linkedin or uh Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, all, all, like I said, the best resource of information is always our, our website. And we've got, we always document a lot of what we do on our blog as well. Um, and if you want to head there, then you'll see, um, everything, you'll see all the coverage that happened at Liverpool and, and new functionality and industry, uh, knowledge and things like that, basically. And of course, you can follow uh, Event Industry News as well on uh, on social media. Our Twitter handle is at Event News Blog. And if you just search for Event Industry News and Event News Blog on all the usual social media platforms, you'll be able to find out uh, what we're doing and, and the stuff that we're up to. Lots of information on the website as well, of course, eventindustrynews.com. If you're watching today's podcast on the website via the video stream, um, of course, you can go over to your uh, favorite podcast platform and you can download and listen to all of the audio versions of all of our podcasts podcasts 200 and something episodes now to listen back to covering all sorts of topics of course if you are listening to today's podcast on one of those platforms don't forget to hop over to eventindustrynews.com latest news features regular updates about what's happening in the industry especially at the moment and as i said all of this activity test events um, that are going on at the moment as we hope fingers crossed in the coming weeks and months to get things back to some form of normality and get this industry back on its feet and working again. Um, Reshad, it's been great to have you on the uh, on the show today. Thanks for joining the podcast. Um, it's been great to speak to you. And please do keep in touch. We'd love to hear about what's happening in the coming months. Let's find out, you know, w- what is happening, the success of these test events, as you start to be able to generate some more data and analytics. If there's anything to talk about, we'd love to hear, hear from you. And I'm sure the people that listen to the podcast would love to hear from you as well. Um, and that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thanks very much, everybody, for joining. Um, been great to have you on board, as always. Um, keep your eyes peeled. Um, loads more coming in the next week uh, or so in terms of podcast content. Some great guests that we've got lined up. No doubt all looking uh, at this huge topic at the moment, which it really is the only thing that we need to be talking about, which is getting this industry back up and running. Thanks for joining the podcast, and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. See you. Bye-bye.